everyone, welcome back to QSR Nation, your weekly source of food service marketing and business strategies for success. Here are your hosts, Josh, Beth, Tony, and Grant from the PFS Brands National Headquarters in Holt Summit, Missouri. Hey everybody, welcome back to QSR Nation. As always, we have Josh, Beth, Grant, and Tony here from the PFS Brands National Headquarters in Holston, Missouri to talk about food service marketing and business strategies for success. Today, we're really thrilled to have David Limley in the studio with us today, the uh, Chief Strategist at Retail Voodoo. So welcome, David. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Great. Um, now, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you kind of got started and wh- how you are where you are now? Sure. So I started uh, working in uh, brand and design many, many years ago and was fortunate enough to get to work with some of the biggest brands in the world. And that, after doing about 300 of them, I was inspired to start Retail Voodoo as a way to help kind of do-gooder brands influence change in the conversation around food and beverage and wellness and fitness. And so my vision was to bring world-class brand strategy and big-picture marketing and design thinking to companies who were really intent on changing the world for the better. And when we started, it was kind of funny because we were seen, when we started Retail Voodoo, which was about eight years ago, we were seen as crazies. But we all know eight years in that we're finding ourselves in the middle of a mega trend, which is really about people seeking, being really conscious of what they're eating and wanting to know where their food came from and all that sort of stuff. So I feel like we're uh, riding the wave pretty well. Great. That's awesome. Um, kind of talking with you before we had this podcast, um, it sounds like you've had experiences with a good number of retail brands. Um, so I was just curious, what are a few of the brands that you've worked with that some of our listeners may be familiar with, or what are some that you uh, are just very notable but you are stick out to you? Yeah, so the, the one that I think that my mom was the most proud of is Starbucks. <laughs> I, I was lucky enough to get in on the ground floor and have a, a group of um, very smart people bring me in and say, we want to build a story day forever. Help us build a brand that can stand out for the next decade. Go. And so that is really where I kind of cut my teeth. And then after that, I was fortunate enough to get to be brought into places like REI and the Home Depot and Nike stores and some others that you might be aware of. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One thing I was going to mention about Starbucks, I know, um, and you might be able to speak to this a little bit, but uh, one thing I've heard, you know, they not only created a really good brand, but they kind of transformed the whole industry because, you know, when they started entering some of the other cities around, you know, the United States, they thought that they would knock out like the smaller mom and pop coffee shops. But what happened was it actually um, strengthened the coffee market. So it kind of was a win for the entire industry there. Can you speak to that at all? Sure. So I, I think, yeah, they, they were really on the forefront of that. What Today, we kind of consider coffee culture. They were really on the, the forefront of it, and at the time that they were getting serious about it, the only place that coffee culture really existed was in Europe and in the Middle East. So they brought kind of that European coffee house vibe and attitude about coffee, and were pretty quickly able to change the, uh, particularly the American mindset around coffee, which used to be more like Folgers coffee at a diner that was uh, something that you just did to get energy into an experience that became about culture and about self-identity and about kind of who you were. So they were able to do a couple of things. They they made it so that no matter who you were, you could get into the club and feel like coffee was part of your culture. 
and that was the big move. And that it did have a really. They came in and at first it it really swept over, and they were able to go into major markets and disrupt it. And and sometimes the mom and pops or the indie coffee shops did have difficulty, but most of them rebounded by becoming the not Starbucks, being even more unique, more about the coffee flavor, more about all of the things that a a massive chain cannot do. Right. Yep. That's incredible. Okay, so David, so for people that may be with a franchise, how would you recommend that they go about incorporating their personal brand with their business? Well, okay, so that that's a really good question. And uh, I have been kind of thinking about that. And I, I think that it's important to share my definition of brand first. Because when I talk about personal brand, it's not the same as what, what the um, typical business definition is. I, I say that your brand is the promise that you make and the way in which you and your team go about keeping it. So it's that feeling that I have after I've had an experience with you that I keep in my heart and my mind and the things that I'm going to say about you when you're not in the room afterwards, that's your brand. And so the rest of this stuff is identity and graphics and environment. So if I go to think about how I want to talk to somebody who's a franchise owner who wants to bring their personal brand in, I think that I would say a couple of things. First, I would say that franchises exist to establish consistency and to, to build that brand first, and they are there to make it so that it's consistent from location to location, whether that's across town or across the country or across the world. So that is why they are doing it, and they want their brand promise to be the same at every location. So back to the question of how do you incorporate your personal brand? Uh, it's not really like about customizing your signage or changing your wallpaper or changing your lighting or your flooring or anything like that. It kind of when, when I think of that, it kind of reminds me of, um, have you guys ever seen the Seinfeld episode where Kramer adopts a, a highway? A long time ago, yeah. <laughs> Very long time ago. Well, it's a, it's a good reference. So Kramer decides that he's going to, in his section of the highway, he wants it to be Lux and Uber Premium. So he goes in and widens the lanes from <laughs> five to three, and he's out there painting the lanes. And you can imagine what that did to the franchise of the highway. <laughs> yeah, taking a little, little too far there, the personal branding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I think you got to be, it, it's, you got to be really mindful of what is the master brand doing and how do you deliver on that. So, if the company that you are the franchisee of is making a promise and you are there to help deliver on that promise, You, the way to bring your personal brand into it is bring your personal value system in. So making sure that you are using whatever your definition of integrity and your definition of values are to deliver, help them deliver on their promise. And so that goes from everything from how, how you execute brand standards to the way you greet customers to how you, how you train and how you treat your people. Well, that's great. You know, because I mean, that's, at the end of the day, I mean, the, the franchisee has to execute and you know that's why I think and that, that personal brand as far as you know how they um, what actually like you said deliver on that brand promise is so key so I mean that can actually make or break a franchise too depending on um, that consistency and that guest experience at the location yeah I agree I think it's it's very important you know I know um, we talk about a lot of about that brand representation and everything. So, how does the brand representation of a location and their product um, affect consumer engagement levels? I mean, both positively and negatively. Yeah, that 
that's a good question as well. So I think that uh, brand representation occurs in a few ways. I mean, the, the baseline is it's, it's environmental, it's visual, it's about being inviting and warm and making sure that whatever you're fixturing and your lighting and your communication and your cleanliness level, level all matches the expectation of the promise that the franchise or the master brand is making. But I do think that there are um, it's contextual. And so when I think about how to do it where I'm going to use the example of a handwritten sign as both a positive and a negative representation of that brand. So when I think of a cafe where you were using coffee in Starbucks and we went with the indie coffee and how there's a new culture, well, handwritten signs in that environment make tons of sense where it's notes about the, the bouquet of a coffee or what's on special or whatnot. That really makes good sense to, to that environment and to that style. So that handcrafted sort of off-the-cuff fits that really, really well. But by contrast, I think about uh, being in Hawaii and for me, the first time I was in Hawaii, I was surprised that at McDonald's they have uh, rice and spam for breakfast, which makes total sense. It's a local thing, so they're localizing that franchise to that region. But what I did notice is that all of their signing systems are sharp and crisp and match the McDonald's brand. Mm. So they have localized language or localized uh, vocabulary and lexicon and menu offerings, but the brand, it's delivered within the brand of McDonald's. So I thought that was a good contrast because what I thought, is, think of it like this. Imagine that uh, another franchise wants to get in on spam and eggs for breakfast, and they decide to go handwrite their signs and stick them on the, uh, the drive-thru or in the otherwise master brand crafted menu system. It would feel like something was amiss. It'd be, it would feel rogue rather than on brand. And I think that's a key way to think about it. Yeah, because I mean, that can actually disrupt consumer trust in the product as well, because then you know, it looks like, well, this, the signage isn't professionally created, it's not professionally promoted, and it doesn't really fit the rest of the signage around here. So is this really something I want to take a chance on? Um, and whereas, like you said, in like some of the cafes or even you know, some of the, the small mom and pop places where they use, um, you know, the, like kind of an archier look with the chalkboard menus, etc. You know, they're a handwritten sign. Like you said, it fits and it makes sense. So you know, making sure that you don't deviate from the entire brand feel, I think, is really important as well. So that's, that's great you brought that up. And the fact that I never would have thought that in Hawaii... Um, rice and spam at McDonald's would have been an offering, but that's that's great that they're, they're catering to you know, local uh, local flavors, so that's awesome. Contextual. That's right. And spam is really good, I'm just saying. Honestly. It's, it's shockingly yummy when you grill it up or fry it up. It is amazing, just saying. Yeah. Hey, it's hot shoulder and So, uh, David, you've been in, the, in this industry for years now. So, um, over the years and upcoming, um, what are some unique industry-changing things that you've seen over the years? Yeah, I think the thing that stands up to me the most in the last several years is that people, consumers, because of technology, because of prosperity because of the way things are changing that we're all kind of overwhelmed by choice. We have too many choices to make each day. We live in a world of hyper choice. And so as a result, we are tuning out a lot of message and we're looking for places to belong and we're also looking for um, pattern disruption 
so that we're looking for people that don't want us to belong or we're looking for brands that don't want us to belong as much as we're looking for the, those that do. And so this is where I think that kind of human connection comes in and to make sure that uh, the opportunity for uh, franchisee is to make sure that their employees and they themselves understand that their role is to help people feel like they belong to the brand that they are representing. For sure. Yep. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I know it's almost exhausting every day, like the amount of choices that we have. You know, just going out to lunch sometimes, it's hard to decide if you got a million options. You'd rather have, I'd rather have someone just tell me where I'm going rather than try and yeah. make a choice. Yeah. Like Champ's so. Chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good choice. <laughs> all right. Um, so now we'll move into our uh, quick three questions that we uh, typically ask all of our guests on the show. So, first one, David, uh, what's one marketing or business trend you see for the next year going forward? Well, I think that it's going to kind of dovetail off of what I just said. I think that it's about people and consumers are are really individual, creating uniqueness. They don't want to be the number simultaneously. There's, they're, we're all a little stressed because there's too many choices, and we'd kind of like somebody to help us pick. Within that, they still want to be recognized as a human and be seen as having value and as customers. That's a huge opportunity there. So, as I said before, there's choices out there and there's so many opportunities for a brand or for customer service to not deliver, to not give us what we need as humans or not give us what we need as a customer. So, I think people are becoming more self-reliant and that that is kind of changing the culture. If you look at me again, I'm going to go back to Starbucks today now, though. If you go stand in a Starbucks, you see all those delicious little snacks they've got while you're queuing up to get in line to get your coffee. We have um, trained ourselves to automatically mistrust and flip over and read every label. And if you next time you're in a, a Starbucks, watch. You'll see that is now normalized behavior. And I think it's because we're seeking things to trust in a world that people are less trusting. And I think that for brands and for franchisees and their employees, I think it's a really huge opportunity to connect with people, create great experiences, and make people feel like they belong to the brand, and that way they will be your word of mouth and your social media advocates. And it just goes back to what you said earlier about creating you know, that fulfillment of the brand promise so they know they can trust you. Yeah, absolutely. And when you get that, people are gonna brag about it. It's just human nature. Yep. Exactly right. Okay, so if you could recommend one business or marketing book, what would it be? This is a tough choice. <laughs> but I, if I could recommend just a single business book, I would recommend The Experience Economy. It's written by a guy named Joe Pine and James Gilmore, and they are kind of the inventors of the entire experience economy. They invented it about 20 years ago. There's a new version of that book coming out this year, which is the 20th anniversary, so it's been updated. I have it on order myself because the old one is all thumb through and I use it regularly. That's awesome. I'll check that one out. So, I mean, when you said the experience economy, they're just going around the entire, you know, from, from walk-in to walk-out, looking at, you know, the, the, average, the whole like, reason why I should come back. Is that what that, the book is kind of entailing about, or...? Yeah, it's that. It's about creating experiences. So I think of it like this. You know, people kind of are worried about this notion of there being a retail apocalypse. I'm sure you have heard about that, mm -hmm. talked about oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> this notion that, oh my gosh, retail's dying. Well, 
if you really look at the retail that is dying, it's only the resistant non-believers that it should be an experience. Because everybody else who's creating an experience and creating a reason for people to come in and share and belong and brag and think of um, like the stark contrast between, say, um, Sears and, say, um, basically, sorry, I lost my train of thought there, between Sears and any other retailer, if you think of the ones that are thriving, like even Target, that it's about making sure that the people there, that the product assortment, that people are um, there to help you. And the brands that, uh, meanwhile, you know, there's this uh, retail apocalypse is happening, but there are other brands that are growing like crazy. I think of uh, American, an example of a brand that is growing like crazy because they have figured out how to connect with a younger audience and make them feel comfortable and make them feel like they belong to something. And so they are uh, growing like crazy by comparison. Right. That's awesome. And kind of the spin off that we were talking about, you know, folks need to embrace that, that experience um, uh, driven economy. What is one piece of advice that you would offer a new entrepreneur or someone you know, getting ready to start a retail business? Uh, doing only one is going to be tough. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I'd say the first thing, I, well, okay, I can do two. I think the first thing is make technology your friend and realize that that friend is going to run away all the time and go grow up and get advanced and change on you all the time, but you still have to be really good friends with it. Because if you don't, in a franchise situation where if you invest in one set of technology and then don't do anything for a few years, it will be outdated, it will become uh, a challenge, and then you'll have to be playing catch-up. The second piece of advice I think is really uh, more about where my passion is, which is there's a difference between being a boss and being a leader. Absolutely. So I could give one piece of advice to an entrepreneur getting into this. I would say commit to continuous learning. And I would go so far as to challenge yourself to read 10 books on leadership and business a year. Well, that's awesome. I know we, we always encourage our employee owners I'm here to read a lot. We actually have a book club and recognize the people who read the most uh, books uh, each month. We actually submit book reports on them and everything and that we share through all of our, you know, 100 plus employee owners here at the company. And, you know, it's it's important to see that continuing growth aspect. Plus, you gain new perspectives, whether you agree with them or not, but you actually, you know, get an opportunity to be exposed to different leadership styles, um, different financial takes, different, um, you know, uh, marketing trends etc so uh, I know Josh he's probably the biggest reader of the, of the four of us he, he reads so much it's crazy yeah uh, he sometimes. should be smarter than he is yeah. actually but <laughs> <laughs> love you man <laughs> but no I mean so I, mean, I, I think that's great great advice to uh, read at least 10 books a year on leadership if you're getting started and to talk about the technology part, it's funny, my professor actually said one of the same things. My degree is in major information systems, and it was, you have to learn to embrace technology. And what he said was, all I'm really doing right now is teaching you these four years of how to be able to learn for the future. He said, because everything is going to be changing. Technology changes from the moment you come into class today to tomorrow. Something could completely change. You have to learn something else. So that's a really good piece of advice. I mean, that's something that you can always take with you 100%. Yeah, 
Yeah, I was saying, so many people fear technology. Yeah, they're, they're, they're scared of it, but that's something, like, the world's going to be changing, and you have to embrace it. There's really no going back. You can't go back old school style. And so, um, but yeah, that's, that's a really great piece of advice. Yeah, it's, it's, it would be difficult to be in any service business and not embrace technology. Right, for sure. Um, David, this has been a great discussion so far. And if any, any of our listeners have more questions for you, where can they reach out to you and learn more about Retail Voodoo? Yeah, the best place would be to check out our website. It's retailvoodoo.com. And I am on there. You can click on links on my particular bio if you're interested in reaching out to me directly. Perfect. That'd be great. We'll definitely include the URL on this uh, podcast description as well. Great. Anything else you guys want to ask, David? No, I just appreciate your time and, and the insight today, David. It's been a great conversation. Well, thanks for having me. It was uh, really fast-paced and really fun. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, that's how we like it. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. Right. And then for all of our listeners, as always, you can reach out to us at QSRNation at PFSBrands.com. Um, listen to the podcast at PFSBrands.com slash podcast. Uh, for Josh, Beth, Grant, and Tony, and all of us here at PFS Brands and QSR Nation, we'll talk to you next week. See ya. Today's episode is brought to you by Blue Taco. It's the franchise your location needs for simply Southwest goodness. Visit our website at thebluetaco.com. And remember, it's BLU. Be sure to stop by next week for another episode of QSR Nation. And be sure to check us out online at pfsbrands.com forward slash podcast. Podcast.